Amen. Thanks so much for coming up, Nick. Appreciate you guys worshiping, and uh, Pastor Mark's on sabbatical. Just love that you guys are up here serving, so thank you very much. Well, the series that we're in right now is on Moses, and the series is called Moses, a story of doubt and deliverance. The section that we are in is called the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments. Today we are on the Sixth, sixth Commandment, which is do not murder. As you can imagine, this is a very serious topic, uh, not any humor in the sermon today, which of course goes against the grain of how I'm wired, but we're talking about something that is for mature audiences. We're going to spend two weeks on murder and life and the value of that. We're moving on to such topics as don't commit adultery also. So sometimes people want their children in church with them. And let me just say, if you have younger children, the sermons for the next several weeks will be, will be for mature audiences. And so use your judgment, but you can always bring them down to the children's area to check them in even now if you'd like to. The topic today is murder. And we have to understand the times. We live in the most violent era of human history. Over the past hundred plus years, we have seen the bloodiest period that's ever been recorded. Maybe you look back and assume that we have come a long way from our barbaric past. Maybe you feel like we have progressed, but the body count stands against that assumption. When it comes to the violence over the last hundred plus years, the statistics are staggering. Four human beings, Hitler, Lenin, Stalin, and Mao, are responsible for 175 million deaths. Four human beings are responsible for 175 million deaths. To put that into perspective, historians estimate that that would be half the global population of Jesus' day. What would it be like if there was a story in the Bible of four people who killed half the world? We've seen that. We've seen half the ancient population perish because of the actions of four men and their followers. The body count is astronomical. And there's no sign that it's stopping. A global study found that in 2016, there were 385,000 homicides that they know of. How many don't they know of? 385,000 in a year around the world. So what that means is every decade, our generation kills the equivalent of the entire ancient population in Jesus' day. Every 10 years... The whole world in Jesus' day is killed just by homicides. Wow! We have blood on the hands of this generation. And we have a lot to answer for. How do we, how do we explain such bloodshed? How do we explain such violence? How do we hope to change things? What I have for us today is a warning. God's feelings about murder a warning. I also have some insight into understanding the day in which we live, and then a promise, how God treats murderers. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the Word together. Father in heaven, what a tragic story humanity has written. 
the lives that have been lost illegitimately are piling up. Help us to understand where the violence is coming from. Help us to understand your law. Help us to know how things can change. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to go to Exodus 20, verse 13 briefly, but then we have many verses that we are going to use to unpack this command because the sixth commandment is very short, very brief, very clear, and because it's so broad, it applies in a thousand different ways, but the verse itself doesn't say much. In Exodus 20, verse 13, Moses came down the mountain with the Ten Commandments, etched in stone by the finger of God, and here's what it says. You shall not murder, period. You shall not murder. One of the big ten. Well, write this down in your bulletin. Well, then what is murder? If God's clear about it and his law is against it, what is murder? Let's define it biblically. Murder is the unauthorized taking of a life through direct or negligent behavior. You can fill that in. It's unauthorized, which means you didn't have the right to do it. And it can be through direct behavior, meaning you kill someone, or negligent behavior, meaning you didn't do something that could have saved that life or what you didn't do caused that person to die. When it comes to the word unauthorized, what that means is there there are times where the taking of life is authorized. So this isn't a sermon on pacifism. We're not talking about how every life lost is wrong. The Bible doesn't teach that. In Ecclesiastes 3.3, it flat out says there is a time to kill. The question is just, is it an illegitimate taking of life? Some examples of times where people can um, kill someone, but it's not a sin would be an act of self-defense or a government executing a convicted criminal Uh, by their laws, or an act of war as a soldier. Uh, Even God commanded Israel in a period of history to judge certain nations. So those would be examples of when lives are being lost, but it's not murder. Now, just to be clear, just because a life is taken on the battlefield, that doesn't mean it was a right thing to do. There are also war crimes. So it's a case-by-case basis that determines if a murder has actually taken place. The Bible is complex and detailed in how God's people were to follow up with the problem of murder. For example, if someone killed somebody accidentally and, and it was not a crime, they, but the family was coming for vengeance, then that person could flee to a city of refuge where there would be a fair trial and the elders would decide what happened. And then even if that person did it accidentally, Oftentimes, they'd have to stay in that city to protect them from the family members who wanted to to avenge the lost loved one. That person would have to be kind of under house arrest. And this is is because of an accidental killing, right? So the Bible is very clear that there are rules that govern the taking of a life. The crime of murder also includes negligent behavior that leads to death. For example, the Israelites were told... Uh, there was a law like if you don't install a railing on the roof of your house, because they were, you know, the houses had roofs up top where they could go. If you don't install a railing up there and someone falls over and dies, you're guilty of murder. Even if you didn't push them over because you failed to provide for their safety, it's your fault that they died. 
A modern-day example would be like in Flint, Michigan, where the local officials just failed to get the water clean and, and sewage and poison flowed into the city. Now, they didn't show up and feed it to the children, but they're on the hook because of their criminal neglect of something that was taking a life. So murder is the unauthorized taking of a life through direct or negligent behavior. Now, if you trace the act of murder through the Bible... It starts pretty soon in creation history. You have Adam and Eve who have Cain and Abel, and Cain murdered his brother Abel. It didn't take humanity very long to figure out the components of taking a life. And then when Cain was called in front of God himself for the trial, Cain lied, he was indifferent, and then when God pronounced sentence, he, was, he, he acted like the victim. And this was early on in the human story. Cain's great-great-great-grandson Lamech killed a man and then reveled in it and boasted in it, basically saying, bring it on, talking about how tough he was to his wives. Violence escalated so that in Noah's day in Genesis 6, it's only six chapters into the Bible, the report is the earth was filled with violence. Six chapters in, the earth is filled with violence. Humanity didn't get off to a great start. What is murder? It's the unauthorized taking of a life through direct or negligent behavior. Number two, write this down. Why, why is there so much murder? Whenever the next news story breaks, we ask ourselves, why? We want to know why. Why did that person do it? And then we move on to that. Well, why did that person do it? And ultimately, we're asking the big question, why is this even ever still happening? Why is there so much murder? There's no shortage of news stories. We have a picture here of the Austin serial mail bomber, 23-year-old man with his whole life ahead of him, who decided he was going to disrupt numerous lives by mailing explosive packages randomly. Here's a map of where those ended up in Austin, Texas. We have a harvest down there in Austin. And I remember watching the news feed from Pastor Brian Payne, who was down there talking about how sad it is that he can't even pick up his mail anymore without fear. And then when this young man was caught, he blew himself up in a car. His family said we had no clue he was struggling at this level. His name was Mark Anthony Condit, and he left a confession behind. Authorities said it wasn't motivated racially, it wasn't religion. He was just a disturbed individual. But boy, did he keep it hidden. And everyone's wondering why. Several dead, many wounded, everyone terrified. Why? Why? Then you turn to school shootings. There was just one this week in Santa Fe. But there was one in Parkland, Florida, February 14th this year that left 17 dead. Here's a picture of students who are being herded out of their school because they don't know where the killer is. Everyone's a suspect. And everyone watches and wonders, why? Why is there so much killing? Murder is intriguing to us because it happens so frequently. People are haunted and terrified by crime dramas. They want to see unsolved cases. They want to know how a killer is caught. It's all intriguing to us because it's so widespread. But we want to know why. Jot this down. Murder 
ultimately is a result of spiritual warfare. Where, where does it start? It starts in the spiritual realm. In John 8, Jesus said this, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus told this to his murderers, to the men who were plotting his crucifixion. He said, you are a murderer because you're following the one who is a murderer from the beginning, and that's Satan. Do we really in this modern day believe in a, in a Satan, in, in demons and angels? It sounds like ghost stories. Well, if you don't have a spiritual realm filled with wickedness, then where is all the evil coming from? Society has improved. Healthcare has improved. Education has improved. And we are still wicked. The truth is that wickedness spills out of the spiritual realm into our world every day. The Bible teaches there is war in heaven. And Satan leads those who have turned against God. The ugly energy of sin in our hearts is energized by the ugly energy of sin in the spiritual realm. We know that the idea of evil found in the Bible is not that evil is just ignorance or bigotry or racism. That, that comes out of the evil that flows through our hearts. And that evil comes from the spiritual realm. We believe that there's not just an evil force, like, like the force. We don't believe there's an evil force or either or, or, or some substance that, that is out there influencing us. We believe that evil is personal, that there are personal, intelligent, knowing spiritual beings, demons, who are against God's will and God's plan and all the life God has made. So there are, there's a personal axe to grind when it comes to the evil that spills into our world. Now, this means that some killers, like serial killer David Berkowitz, would claim that he was literally possessed by a demon when he was going out at night and shooting people. But there are others, uh, perhaps gang members, who go out and just they're handed a gun and told as part of their initiation to go shoot somebody. They just want their friends to be happy with them. It's not like a demon is controlling them. But we do believe that all violence and all murder results when people are filled with the dark energy from hell. It is not God's will. It's coming from a dark source. So murder is the result of spiritual warfare. Next, most murder comes from differences between people groups. So write this down. Racial, religious, political, and economic differences account for most of the killings worldwide. It's usually a group or an individual who looks at people or groups that are different, and that's where the tension comes in. If we don't figure out how to make peace between factions and groups and warring countries and warring gangs and warring uh, races, then the murder will continue. In 1 Peter 4, 15, it says this, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Jesus was clear to Peter, put the sword away. Christ could have sent his followers out uh, like Islam began and advance his kingdom at the tip of the sword and say, pull the sword and impose my will on the world. That's not what happened. That's not what happened. It took a full thousand years before the Crusades when the church thought, well, we really need to spread this faith by violence. 
But that's not the way Jesus intended it to be, and that's not the way that God designed it. We were not to be, we were not to be a violent people who shed blood. In James 4, 1-3, it says this, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. This illustrates the source of murder is coming from somebody who doesn't have something and somebody else who does. And that can describe much of the economical theory of the 18 and 1900s that led to class warfare, that led to revolution, that led to that led to massive starvation and the acquiring of property. But it ultimately comes from the desire of the individual. Racial, religious, political, and economic differences lead to most of the murders. Which gang controls the corner to sell the drugs? Uh, that is a violent uh, collision of interest. When it comes to uh, violence that's motivated by these factors, again, the headlines are filled with story after story, but one story in particular that caught my attention was at the end of last year, the San Francisco uh, terror suspect planned at Pier 39 to uh, stage this bombing that then channeled everybody to a certain place on Pier 39 where he would then begin shooting them. His name is Everett Aaron Jameson. We have a picture of him we'll put up. He built explosives. He started collaborating. He was a recent convert to radical Islam, and he began communicating with leaders uh, of ISIS, or at least he thought so, but he was actually talking with FBI agents who were leading him on. So he told them all of his plans, and they kept asking him questions, and finally he decided that it would be a Christmas Day attack when people were touring. And this hit me because Lauren and I were in San Francisco last year at this pier. We visited this place, and so my mind is racing with the candy store we walked through and the place where we had lunch and, and the, the sea lions out there playing and, and all the people who've traveled to see this beautiful location. And then suddenly a bomb going off and bullets flying. And I, it was a horrifying thought. Why? Why? Why would anyone do this? Well, this man is clear. He wrote his suicide note. He was caught before he could do this. But he wrote his suicide note and he said this. I have committed these acts upon the non-Muslims in the name of the Muslim world. You've allowed Trump to give away Jerusalem to the Jews. Both you and he are wrong. It belongs to Muslims. Why did he do it? Because of his faith. Most Muslims are not violent. But this is an example of someone who will take his faith and use it as the cause for murderous action. And he thinks his God is happy with him. He thinks this is his ticket to heaven. Racial, religious, and political and economic differences lead to most murders. Gang violence in Chicago is obviously no news to us. There are estimates there are 100,000 gang members in the city right now. 100,000. And the Tribune ran a report recently, I'll put the headline up here, that said this. 39,000 homicides, retracing 60 years of murder in Chicago. The spike in violent crime that has plagued Chicago since 2016 has even more gravity when viewed in comparison with six decades of homicides in Chicago. Since 57, the city has had homicide totals of 700 or more nearly half the time. 700 dead, more than half the time. Why do they, you know, this is 
makes it obvious why they call Chicago a war zone or Chirac or whatever, because you have people dying every day. I think over half of those are gang-related activity. Why is there so much murder? Well, murder is a result of spiritual warfare. That's what energizes it. Racial, religious, political, and economic differences, that's what grinds everybody and gets them turning on each other. But jot this down. Murder ultimately springs from the heart. It springs from the heart. In 1 John 3.15, it says this, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. This is one of the most sobering verses you'll ever come across in the Bible. Because what we see here is that God charges you and me with the crime of murder, the whole crime of the whole act at the earliest stages in the process. When am I charged in God's court of law with murder? The moment I hate my brother. Well, that doesn't seem fair. No, it's fair because this is where the act comes from. This is where it springs from. And and maybe you don't have the Nazi regime at your disposal like Hitler, where you can act out what's in your heart like Hitler did. Maybe there's not going to be millions of people who, who result from that, but the heart is still the same. And just because a man who has clung to his racism for 50 years in front of his TV, watching you know, from his couch, is because he doesn't have an army to go do something about it, his heart is still as guilty in God's court. It's the anger that leads to the effect. The murder is really the aftershock of what has broken down in the heart. People want to know why and how they can fix it. And of course, they look to the tool. They look to the gun. If we get all the guns off the street, all the murder will go away. London has one of the toughest gun laws, uh, has some of the toughest gun laws in the world, and the knife killings are off the chart. They've almost caught up to New York City. These people are just using knives. If you want the murder to go away, you have to do more than go around and round up all the weapons. The Bible says you actually have to go around and round up all the hearts. All the hearts. We got them all. We brought them all in. What? All the hearts. Good. No more murder. This is where it comes from. And don't make the mistake of thinking that evil, the temptation to evil, is out there somewhere. Those people are crazy. Not in my neighborhood. No, no, no. The line between good and evil does, is not drawn between neighborhoods, right? The line between good and evil runs straight down the middle of every human heart. You're capable of good. You're capable of evil. You can cross into either territory at any time. That's why God draws the line at the heart. Look inside and see the problem. Murderous anger looks, lurks in my heart. What is murder? Well, it's the unauthorized taking of life through direct or negligent behavior. Why is there so much murder? Well, spiritual warfare, differences, and basically the heart. Number three, why is murder wrong? This is a very important question. And people who don't believe in a creator, agnostic or atheist, scientists or teachers who don't believe in a creator and think that there is no such thing as an objective moral law that applies to everyone equally, cannot rationally say that murder is wrong. You need a moral law in order to call something wrong. You need a consistent law in order to call it wrong in all places. 
And when people remove a creator and take away an absolute moral law that applies to everyone, the crime vanishes and it's not wrong anymore. But we Christians can define that it's wrong because God has said, do not murder. And because his law said that the murderer will be punishable by death. Listen, if the survival of the fittest is the law of the land, oh well, the fittest survived. Who cares about the school shooting? All we have is the survival of the fittest and might makes right. You need a rational basis in in order to say something is wrong. Now, someone might say, well, that's why we pass laws. That's why we have government. We have agreed together that taking life is wrong. What about other governments that have passed laws? What about other governments that, that say, as a country, that they want all of us wiped off the map? Their government's doing what they think is best, too. Would, are you willing to tell them that they're wrong? Do you see what happens when you don't have an absolute standard of morality? Anything goes. Anything goes. Jot this down. We believe murder is wrong because life is sacred. Murder is wrong because life is sacred. We can say that the taking of a life at any stage of its development is wrong because we believe that every human bears God's image. Next week, we'll get into the details of this. But as Christians, we believe strongly that from the moment of conception, from the moment of conception, you have a human life. And we defend that life at every stage of development. Because if you don't assign humanity to the life at the earliest stage of conception, good luck trying to figure out when they become a human. We believe that we know the biology now. That when a mother is with child, from the first day of conception, there is life distinct from her, genetically distinct life. It is life. And we believe it's plain as day that it's human life. We can figure out what form of life something is when it's growing. It's human and it's life. Therefore, from that moment on, through the person's natural death, that life is to be protected. We don't believe that at the end of life, that when certain parts break down or a person loses their awareness or their health starts to go, that they have lost their humanity. We think life is worth protecting and defending from conception through a natural death. We'll dig down on that next week. But this is because we believe life is sacred. In Genesis 9, 6, it says this. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For God made man in his own image. Do you see how if you have a creator, then all of life is his work? Life belongs to him. So if I were to take a life, I'm taking what is rightfully God's. And that's why we defend life, because life is sacred. Every person, regardless of their life, regardless of their choices, their race, their background, their age, bears God's image, and that makes them of infinite worth. That's why murder is wrong. Now, atheistic scientists have a problem because they want us to believe that life didn't come from a creator. In fact, it came from nothing. It just sprang from nothing, and it developed itself. The universe assembled itself. And one day you'll die and the lights will just go out and you'll never be, just like you never were, from darkness to darkness. But what does that do to your understanding of crime? What does that do to your longing for justice? Richard Dawkins, one of the most prominent atheists, said this, the universe has no design, no purpose, listen, 
No evil, no good. No evil. Do you see how when approached with the facts of 175 million dead because of four people, and you're really going to say no evil has been done? This is moral tragedy. He says no evil, no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. What a sentimental way to end a fatalistic view of morality. Dance to its music? You lose a loved one because of a freak violent act as a gang member is being initiated, and you're willing to just say, well, he was dancing to his DNA. It's so passive. It gets him out of all of his sin for sure. Francis Crick, who co-discovered the DNA structure, said this, You, your joys and your sorrows, your memories and ambitions, your sense of personal identity and free will are in fact no more than the behavior of a vast assembly of nerve cells and their associated molecules. See how mechanical and fatalistic and distant that description is of your choices? If you reduce life to molecules then murder is not a moral issue. Murder is a molecule issue. But just try that in court. Yeah, I got into a truck and I mowed 15 people down. How do you answer for that? It's a molecule problem. Been dealing with it my whole life. Is that really what people will accept? That your DNA made you dance? This dance of murder? This, this is morally ridiculous. And if anyone cuts these men off or steals from them or cheats in their class, they won't say, keep dancing to your DNA. They will hold other people morally accountable because that's what humans do and that's what God does. So number one, what is murder? The unauthorized taking of a life. We can define it. Why is there so much spiritual warfare differences? It comes from the heart. We can define why murder is wrong. It's because life is sacred. And jot this down, taking life is wrong at all stages of life. (coughs) It's wrong at all stages of life. We are going to drill down on that next week. But just understand that if you take a life in the womb, God sees that just as criminal as if you walk up to the street and put a gun to the back of someone's head and pull the trigger. It is murder. It's taking human life. Number four, how does God treat murderers? How does he treat them? Well, he allows them to commit the crime. Maybe you think the best of all possible worlds is a world where God just zips all the murderers up for trial right away. Or or like Tom Cruise's movie Minority Report. Maybe you're like, well, as soon as God knows they're going to commit a murder, he should come down and get the angels to take that person out. Maybe you think that that's the most moral thing for God to do. But do you really want that? Do you really want a God who eliminates all All evil in the world? Is that what you want? What about all the evil that you do? Do you want him to take you out? Be very careful what you long for. Because if you long for a world where God subtracts all evil, you're asking for your own removal. The truth is, that's not what we want. What we actually want is for God to remove some evil 
the evil that we're not doing. And as long as he gets rid of all of that, then I'll be happy. God has a better solution to the problem of evil than you and me. His solution is this. For now, you're allowed to make moral choices, mostly without God's interference, though you will not come out from under his sovereignty. And we will see when the tale of history is told that there were millions of people who weren't killed because of God's intervention. God has saved a lot of people. But God, most of the time, will allow wicked people to continue in their wicked ways. Why is it that we read that the, um, what was his name again? In San Francisco, they just caught a man who was guilty, the Golden State Killer. He was accused of 50 rapes, 10 murders, 10 dead. Decade after decade, this man just stopped his killing. And if you look at his house in his neighborhood, it's like a house that could be found on your block or mine. He's got grandkids. He goes to their games, worked hard in a factory. And decades later, they find him. God just lets that happen? Well, the way God treats murderers is he lets people make moral judgments. He lets people sin. But jot this down. Murder is punishable by hell. This is a promise. The promise is that no murderer ever gets away with the crime. You see there's a um, TV show on that says, I almost got away with it. I almost got away with it. Barely got caught. It's interesting to watch that because you hear about people who they were this close to just fading off into the shadows and never getting caught. But so many, so many still today have not been caught. So many murders have not been solved. But the truth is, murder is punishable by hell. Everything, everything is coming out. God's forensic team can't be fooled. The day is coming when every one of us will be held accountable in God's holy court of law. And everything we've hidden is coming out into the light. All of it. It's all coming out. They've not gotten away with it. Their judgment is sure to come. In Revelation 21.8, it says this, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is a promise. I'm giving you a warning today, and I'm giving you a promise today. All those who murder will be judged with hell. It's a promise. God's justice is sure to come. Jot this down. Here's the bad news. I'm a murderer in God's court of law. I'm a murderer in God's court of law. It says in Matthew 5, 21 to 22, you have heard that it was said, Jesus said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, but whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. This means that at the very earliest stages of murder, saying something with a murderous tone will convict you of murder in God's court of law. Wow, that's terrifying. And what's even worse is no one in this room was born with a faith in Christ. You maybe were surrounded by people who believed in Jesus, but there had to be a point in your life where you embraced the truth about Christ for salvation. Listen to how the Bible describes those people who have rejected the truth of Jesus as Savior. In Hebrews 6, 6, it says this, If they then fall away, they are crucifying once again the Son of God. 
to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. How will God treat people who have rejected Jesus as Savior and Lord? He will hold them. He will convict them and charge them with the greatest crime in all of human history, the murder of the Son of God. If you think you're going to stand in God's presence one day on Judgment Day and the idea of murder isn't going to be a chapter in your judgment, there's a big surprise waiting for you there. You're not only going to be charged with a murder, you're going to be charged with the worst murder of all time, the murder of God's Son. Rejecting Him, it says here, is like crucifying Him. Your heart is murdering Him. Wow. Well, this is bad news. How does God treat murderers? Murder is punishable by hell. I'm a murderer in God's court, but here's the great news. God saves murderers who repent. You can fill that in. God saves murderers who repent. Do you know a third of the Bible is written by murderers? Moses wrote the first five books, murderer. David wrote most of the Psalms, murderer. Paul wrote the... Paul wrote 13 letters of the New Testament, murderer. He killed Christians. God saves murderers. 1 Timothy 1, 15-16, written by a killer, says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, the worst. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Hey, what's the solution to the problem of violence in the world? What's the solution? The solution, according to the Bible, the only solution is a new heart. That's it. That's it. The old violent heart comes out and a brand new heart goes in. When you trust Jesus as Savior and Lord, the love of Christ controls your heart. You're made new. The definition of the best of all possible worlds is a world in which every heart is controlled by the love of Christ. That breaks down racial walls. That cuts through economic disparity. That helps a person to look at somebody who's totally different from them with eyes of love and compassion. When you understand that Christ's blood is on your hands, you look at people differently. You realize you're condemned, but Jesus sets you free. The love of Christ is the only force strong enough to break the power of violence in our world. You want to change the world? You want to make a difference? Go around and share the love of Christ. Because when the love of Christ gains ground in a a gangbanger's heart, that heart changes. We've heard stories from our partners in ministry that those in Afghanistan who are fighting ISIS want the Christians in to go and witness in those hostile, war-torn areas. Why, you ask them, why? And, and the army will say, because when they believe in Jesus, they stop shooting at us. They know. They know how powerful the truth of Christ is. This is the solution. It's the love of Christ. That's the only answer. We're going to spend a whole other week on this topic. But let me just close by saying this. If you have never asked Jesus into your heart as Savior and Lord, if you've never repented of rejecting Christ as Savior and Lord, you have a huge problem in God's court. You are convicted of murder of God's Son. And today's the day for you to account for that by repenting and turning away from your stubbornness and asking Jesus who died for you to become your Savior. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's humble ourselves before God and ask His Word 
to work inside of us so that the world will be a better place. Father, I know that there are some here today who think it's those people out there, the crazies, the strange ones who are violent and guilty and barbaric. That's not what you see. That's not what you see. You see murderous anger in each one of us here. We're all guilty in your court of law of having hearts consumed with violent thoughts. And the worst of all, the worst of all is we have desired to live a life free of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our hearts cry out, away with him, crucify him. We will not have this man as our king. Oh Jesus, I pray that you would forgive us for this great sin. May there be some here today who are moved to repentance, who cry out and say, forgive me Christ for rejecting you. Forgive me for murder. I repent. Fill me with your spirit of love. Change my heart that I might change my world. Father, I pray for any here today who are calling upon Jesus as Savior and Lord. Show them that you will receive them. Just as a third of the Bible was written by murderers, so your answer, your answer is to redeem fallen hearts forever. Forgive us, wash away our sin, and give us hope. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing one more song together.